in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series. We could just pull these pages apart. Just realized I lost a button in my stomach, so that might make me, I'm getting old when you start losing stomach buttons, so, I, if they, so I'm making sure I'll have to fix that afterwards. And I was going to change shirts, but um, I only wear this shirt, so that's kind of how it works. So we've got, uh, we're continuing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I always kind of enjoy this. After a series when we're talking about kind of thematic and we're talking about a topical type sermon, it's always a little bit hard, I think, to, uh, it's good back to just kind of work through the Bible and look through some of these stories, and people have commented on that as they get ready for, for Christmas. So that's what we're going to do today. We're talking about stories, and stories, I think, are kind of my favorite, and especially at Christmas time, I, I mention it, and you probably get sick of me telling that is just how many traditions and things like that. As a kid, I knew I wasn't going to have the biggest Christmas of all the kids around, but to me, I still loved Christmas. It was fantastic because there was, there's, uh, there's stories to it. There's traditions, and my mom was a huge tradition person. Everything had, like, certain reasons to it, and there was all this symbolism, and we did all these things. Um, we just had Advent by candlelight. It was fantastic uh, with the ladies, but we were talking about the Advent wreath. We had that as a kid, and we would light the candles on Sundays, and and we'd have Advent devotions with our family. These are all great memories for me. And then the gifts were, you know, kind of an aside. Uh, but some of those traditions, and I'll just kind of tell you some of the histories of our own Christmas, so you have a little bit of background to it. And I probably tell this about every other year. So they, where we get our own idea of Christmas, someone just asked, actually uh, asked, asked about it uh, today. So the way that we get Christmas in America is a little bit different. So there's a couple things that collide. The first one uh, is... St. Nicholas, which was just this Friday. Does anyone celebrate St. Nicholas Day? We're the only ones? Okay, I've been working on this for years, and no one else does St. Nicholas Day. So St. Nicholas Day, he was a real guy. He was, uh, grew up in Turkey, and he uh, was the only child of very wealthy parents, and I, th the understanding is his parents died early, and he wanted to be involved in the ministry. So when you, last week we said the Nicene Creed, I think it's kind of awesome that he was there. So that's pretty cool. So St. Nicholas was supposed to be there. He was one of the ones who um, helped get the Nicene Creed at the Council of Nicaea. And he was very wealthy and very generous. That's the story of St. Saint, Saint Nicholas. And um, there was a woman, there's one story, he would give kids coins and things like that, but there's one story that said there was a man who had three daughters and he didn't have enough money for the dowry. This is the closest one to reality. And he took the money and he either put it in a shoe, because who doesn't store their money in their shoe, and then, or a stocking, or he put it down the chimney. So this is, these are the two possibilities. So the tradition is kind of probably closer to legend that he did it in these three different ways because you think about our own Christmas. Everyone gets their gifts in their shoes. So, I mean, it's very similar to what we, what we have. That, but our idea of Christmas is a little bit different. And when you think about it, the biggest change I just mentioned to the kids was in the early 1800s, there's a guy, I got to look up his, I got to make sure I say his name right, um, Clement Moore. He said a poem, this is 1823, right around the same time that the poinsettia came to America. So 1823, he had a poem called The Visit. And this really shaped how we look at Christmas. So just think, again, Castle Rock was founded in 1874, so it's roughly 50-ish years before that, that this starts to set the tone of how we view Christmas. Up until that time, even if you go to Europe today, some people talk about that, there's like the Christmas markets, but it's still pretty low-key, and it's not like huge, all kinds of extravagant gifts and things like that, how we think about it in America, but it was kind of low-key. They still talk about Sinterklaas and stuff like that, but the, the poem, which you probably can recognize, gives us some details. It starts naming the reindeer, 
Um, it talks about when Santa shows up, like home invasion was not on Christmas Day, but it happens on Christmas Eve. And it starts talking about this, the stockings. This is all like in lore and uh, also talks about Santa Claus BMI and things like that. So we have these pictures of what Christmas looks like. So it maybe you have a tradition of reading this poem. Does anyone have that tradition? I know there's families that read Luke 2 every Christmas Eve. This would be one. Um, Clark W. Griswold reads, "'Twas the night before Christmas," right? So this, this kind of sets the tone. Well, this is a story, and it's a story of anticipation. And I think as kids, you look, start to look forward to those things. And we're going to be looking at Mary's story. And it really is a story of anticipation, just a little bit different than we, how we look at it. She would have grown up. They wouldn't have had Christmas, obviously. But she was a Jewish girl. And they would have had the tradition of probably the biggest holiday that they had. They had two big holidays. Um, So just on a timeline, Moses lays down, like, here's when the holidays are going to be. The biggest one is probably Yom Kippur. This is the Day of Atonement when they would actually go into the Holy of Holy Place. Everyone would come to Jerusalem. The second one was probably Passover. And this, because this is more of a family affair. The other one is kind of corporate and things like that. But this was really, really a family affair. So when you think of family traditions that we have, uh, this would be one of them. So this has been kids looking forward to this thing. They would have the Passover meal. And you can imagine, and this is part of how it went, the dad or the leader of the family, the grandfather, would start telling the story of how they were trapped in Egypt and God helped them get out. And God is the one who spread the Red Sea open so that they could cross over. And they had all these traditions remembering God's deliverance. So that's one of the things they would have been looking forward to. This young girl, Mary, as a Jewish woman, would have known that. But then some of these stories get more specific because these were pointing to something bigger. As you know, uh, Passover culminates with this idea that you're going to paint the frame of a lamb. You're going to take the blood of a lamb, put it on the doorframe so that you live. And so this is kind of a theme that goes through Jewish people. They would have understood this, that something has to die. Blood has to be shed. We talked about that with poinsettias. And something has to die so that you can have freedom. And so this is all kind of the undertones, looking forward to the Savior to come, the Messiah to come is what Mary would have been looking for. And this is somewhat fascinating. This is Isaiah chapter 11, 1 and 2. And there's a couple of prophecies that happen in Isaiah, and then I can come back to one of them. Um, the first is, uh, we, we talked about with the ladies at Advent by Candlelight, but I'll make it very brief. That's in Isaiah 7, where she has this interaction, Isaiah has this interaction with a guy named Ahaz. And she says, here's the sign. Here's what Isaiah says, not she. But Isaiah says to the king, uh, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. We actually sang one of those, a little bit different tune, how it goes, but Emmanuel means God with us. So this was a special thing. The virgin is going to be with a child and give birth to a son. We get a little more clarification about it. So this is Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From the roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the main part we want to look at is a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. You probably know this, but David was very famous. He's the most famous of all the Jewish kings, but his dad's name was Jesse, right? So this is how they, so they would have recognized to say, okay, of all the tribes that this special Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And by the time Mary is there, so this is, uh, the, the northern tribes are gone. They've gone through all kinds of trouble. They've gone into captivity. They've kind of survived. Now they're under the oppression of the Romans. Life is not especially good. But they still held this glimmer of hope, this anticipation. 
Now, stories are weird, I think. Um, when was the best Christmas for you, if you just think about like a time period in your life, like an era, like a collection of years? I, I'm guessing most of you are, as adults, you're not saying like, this is now the best Christmas ever, because I think there's a certain phase. Uh, it's probably coincides with when you want to take your kids to Disney World. There's like a perfect age to take your kids to Disney World. This is where the kids understand. They still have some believing in the idea of like what's going to happen. They still like get really excited when the, the characters come and the princesses come. They still want the pictures. They still want the rides and they still want to do that. There's like a perfect age. Someone just said they went to Disney World. And I thought, you know what? That's about the perfect age. First time I went to Disney World, I was 16. That is not the ideal time to go to Disney. Now, you can appreciate it. But Disney World is not designed for 16-year-old thrill rides, right? Like, It's a Small World is not a thrill ride. I don't know if you know that. That's a horror ride. But I mean, like the rest of them, (laughs) but it's not quite the same. There's this like magic period of time. And and as a kid, I just think about this. My kids, how much they've changed. When I was really little and my mom would do um, uh, St. Nicholas Day, it was a huge deal. So we'd put our stockings up and then I would get like some candy and the tiniest Lego set, like a $2 Lego set. And I could hardly sleep the day before. When I'm like second grade, I'm like, <sighs> you know, mom, is, is it time yet? No, it's not time yet. Is it time yet? No, it's not time. I had to wake my kids up trying to entice them with pancakes. And Amy didn't celebrate, uh, she's not here. So Amy didn't celebrate St. Nicholas Day. I don't think she quite understands the way that I understood St. Nicholas Day. Like my mom spent like $3 and my kids are like getting legit gifts. I'm like, what? But what happened, as they get older, it's a little bit harder. And I think as you get older, right, Christmas doesn't quite have the same feeling. And I think that magic comes back, if you're going to just talk about this season, the magic comes back a little bit when you start having your own kids. Did anyone feel like that? Like, I imagine two single people that are like 30, it's like, wow, Christmas is really neat. But then when you see like the joy in your kid's eyes, and I wonder, Mary is not very old. They estimate she is 13, 14, because they use the word in the Hebrew, Alma, and which means she's about the age, If you, here's the math trick you can do. Just take five years off and it tells you what grade someone's in. So if they're six years old, they're in first grade. So she would have been like maybe eighth, ninth grade equivalent. So she's not very old, but do you think she's old enough if you're thinking about getting married that the Passover and all this stuff doesn't quite have the same meaning as when you're a kid and they're hiding the offy coman? Like this is like the, they had all these games and so they don't do that anymore. And so now like now she's tipping into reality. And I bring that up because now we hit her story. And it's a fascinating story because this is now six months later than last week. So last week, the angels had not appeared for many, many years, hundreds and hundreds of years angels have not appeared and then they suddenly show up to Zechariah and in his disbelief he's like prove it and God's like all right um, you will not talk until the baby is born so now here's a whole different scenario it's six months later Gabriel has the greatest gig of all time he works every couple hundred years and then once in a while every every six months so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy God sent the angel Gabriel to, to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And so now you can see this kind of connection, right? The, the shoot of Jesse, a rod will come from the shoot of Jesse. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. Let's just, just so you, I'm trying to get you to think like that. So angels are not a regular occurrence. It's been hundreds of years. She has not talked to Elizabeth. So this is like a totally new experience. So just imagine you're like, you're in your kitchen and then suddenly an angel appears. 
So let's make it a little more realistic because I'm guessing this has not happened to most of you. So have you ever had someone like show up at the door with like a suit on? I've seen it in the movies a lot and that's serious business. If they have a suit and sunglasses and there's two of them, this is not a good situation. If they're wearing a white shirt, no one does that anymore. Like this is not a good situation. So if someone goes to your door, just imagine this, they've got full suit on, you know, the black tie, like MIB or something, and they knock on the door, you answer the door, what is your thought? There's a number of thoughts, right? Is this good or bad? Did you give a thumbs up? Don't know. <laughs> I thought you went like that. I'm like, who thinks that? <laughs> like, I would be a little concerned, right? Like, I checked, my kids aren't home, and I'm like, okay, is this serious? Is, is there some kind of investigation? Is one of my neighbors, like, smuggling drugs? Or, like, what is, what is happening right now? There'd be a sense of fear. Now, what happens if it was April 15th, and then, like, a month later, these same guys show up in a suit? And I'm like, well, I know they never contacted me by email, but, you know, or by phone, whatever they do. That You'd start to have these worries, and I wonder... Just being, just this human being that you don't expect, there's a sense of fear and trepidation. You don't know what to happen. And now this angel appears before Mary and she's trying to figure this all out. And it could just be like a Tuesday in her kitchen. And he says, greetings, you who are highly favored. That would make it, that would make me feel better, wouldn't it? If the, this person has showed up and the first thing they said is, greetings, you who are highly favored. You've been chosen for an audit. I'd be like, right, like, like there's this sense of relief. So this is what's happening. The angel comes and gives her this sense of relief. Mary is troubled at his words, though, because she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. There is no prophecy that says, like, the angel is going to announce this pregnancy. So she doesn't know what's coming. We know what's coming, right? Jesus is, they're going to say that you're going to give birth to Jesus. She has no idea still. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I think that's good. And then he has the most efficient, calculated birth announcement of all time. Well, what's going to happen? You will conceive and give birth to a son. Oh, then what do I name this son? You will call him Jesus. Okay. And I wonder, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him a throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Like just this, just marked efficiency that covers everything she'd ever wonder. So she's standing in awe. And the angel says, here's what you need to know. You are going to give birth, and you're going to call him Jesus, and he's going to be awesome. Like, that would be really kind of amazing, right? So it goes from, like, zero to 60, and it, the same kind of announcement, you'd kind of be in shock, right? And the, um, you know, the same person comes, and they're holding one of those giant checks, and they're like, hey, you have won. And you're like, what would you be wondering? How? Right? And that's kind of what goes through Mary's head. Like, all these amazing things, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, she just doesn't understand. The, the difference here, we, we run into a couple of things, that uh, announcements that change your life. So Zechariah had the same thing six months earlier. The angel appears to Zechariah, and he freaks out. He doesn't even know what to do. And he says, like, I don't think so. This is a little bit different, isn't it? that the angel appears to her and what is her question? She says, I just don't understand. So I think one of the takeaways you take away this lesson is that is it okay, here would be my question, is it okay to ask God questions about the situation you're in? I think so, right? I mean, we don't, we don't think of it that way, but there's a lot of announcements that come that change your life, and I'm guessing most are not from an angel. Maybe it's from like a doctor 
and who's giving you a diagnosis, or it's from a boss, or it's someone just told me about a, an announcement from a veterinarian, or it's an announcement from like one of your friends. Maybe it's an announcement from your spouse. Maybe it's someone you care about. Maybe it's an announcement from one of your kids. This is an announcement that is proclaimed for you, and you're like, I don't even know what to do. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand. God, I don't understand how these bills are going to get paid. Right? That's okay. It's okay, God, to say, I don't understand how our family is going to get through this. God, I don't understand like, why you would do this to me. I mean, God is big enough to handle your questions. And sometimes you've had, um, and, and you maybe had a parent like that or a teacher like that who is teaching and they, they don't, they're not quite big enough for your questions. Anyone have like math and you try and ask a question and they just try and point it back to you? Like, what would you do? Right? Someone just told me about that when trying to, the tipping point when you're um, raising your kids. It's really awesome when they're in like second grade and helping with homework and then third grade, and then fourth grade, and then like fifth grade. And you're like, that's a great question, right? Right, sixth grade, seventh grade, my daughter was just talking about, hey, dad, I'm trying to figure out, I think she used the word quadratic equation about a Ferris wheel spinning and a, like a, a body falling off the Ferris wheel, which like, who doesn't try and figure that out? Like, it's falling, oh no, I wonder how fast it's going. Is it accelerating, right? So terminal velocity, so she's trying to figure out all these factors. My last math class was sophomore year in high school and it was geometry. I don't even know if that's real math, right? Like, this is just like, like, that's the last time I had it. So what do I say? I'm like, have you talked to your friends? Have you talked to your teacher? And she's like, I talked to my teacher. My teacher doesn't help me on this particular thing. God can always help, and God longs for you to have this. Uh, I would say it this way. Now, let's just put it in a human perspective and then put it in God perspective. As a dad, when the homework was easy, I longed for my kids to ask for help. And as a dad, for things I understand, when my daughter's like, well, I don't understand, do I have to change the oil? I'm like, I can help you with that, right? <laughs> right? Like, you know, my son asked me about something that I understand. It's fantastic. It's when it gets to the realm that I don't understand. There is nothing that God does not understand. So no matter what you're struggling with, and I think there's a lot of this nostalgia that everything is fantastic, and we have a story, and we want the story to be perfect at Christmas. We're struggling. God is saying, I want you to talk to me and find answers in me. So... The angel it doesn't reprimand her. It doesn't say, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You will not talk until the birth of the child. Instead, he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And you can just imagine her going like, what? And do you think she's putting two and two together? Like a sentence before, she said, how can this be? I am a virgin. Do you think that rolls through her head? And the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and you will call him Emmanuel. I wonder, like, do, do these go to happen? So even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, that's the sign for her. Like, go talk to Elizabeth if you're wondering about this. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May, the Lord be to me, wor may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Tricky, I think the tricky thing when we talk about Christmas especially is all the noise and all the things that are happening and all the things that kind of crowd around us. And there's a couple of years ago, a uh, lot of years ago, this is when Isabella, our oldest, was born, so she's now going to be 19. That's a weird statement. Breaking belly buttons and then like, um, she's going to be 19 and I remember she was, we went back for Christmas. This was a magical time kind of for us and, and we could do this. So Amy, uh, I was a vicar. She was born in, uh, she would have been one year old, one year old, 
And uh, so we were able to come back for Christmas, which doesn't happen very often. And, you know, you have all the family jammed into a building. Do, and you do, not a building, we have a house. Um, so everyone is in the house, and there's, like, there's music going, and there's the food going, and people are, like, doing brandy slushes. And, you know, like, it's like, this is Christmas. Everything is packed. And uh, Amy had slipped away and put Isabella's sleep in my parents' room, which is all the way upstairs in this house. And I remember, like, in the midst of all this, I see her, like, leave, and then you could tell you how, what kind of new dad I was. She came back. I'm like, well, what was that all about? And she goes, oh, I heard Isabella crying, so I wanted to make sure she was okay. And it struck me, A, that I had no, I didn't hear it at all. But why, why did Amy hear her own daughter's cry? Those of you who are moms, probably more than dads, like your ear gets tuned. Kids actually sound very similar to dads. Because I can hear like a little kid when my kids were the same age. I'm like, oh, what do you need? Oh, it's not me that they're talking about. But moms are a little bit more unique. But what was she, how did she hear it? The way she heard it was not because she was paying attention to all the noise and all the other stuff going on. The way she heard it is because she was trying to hear her baby. And I think if we have any kind of takeaway as Mary gets ready for this uh, like life-changing, altering thing, she asks questions of God, but she is listening in a sense for that baby. And I think this Christmas you got an opportunity to do that. I have no doubt that your world is jammed full with stuff. And some of you are st- money issues. Some of it is mourning. Some of it is sadness. Some of it is trying to figure out, like, um, how we're going to make this a good Christmas. Some of you, it's job. Things are up in the air and all these other things. And things are not happening perfectly. But God is saying to you, I want you to listen for the baby. And if you're going to make Christmas incredible, if you're going to make it something special, you're listening for the voice of the Savior that says, um, there is a reason why we celebrate this day because Jesus actually came. That Emmanuel actually happened. And the one who had come is coming to shed his own blood. I bring that all up because I think we're all pretty aware of making our own story at Christmas. I'm always about trying to make my own story so that I have fun and do things like that. But it, we also have a chance to influence someone else's story. And the question is, what are, are we going to try and make sure that they have more and more noise? Or are we going to take time this Christmas to not only hear the voice of the Savior through God's word for you, or are we going to take time this Christmas so that the people you know and the kids you have and the, the grandchildren you have get to hear the story of the Savior's voice? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's so many things that happen this time of year. It's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's so exciting. Every event sounds fantastic two weeks away, and then two hours away, it seems like we don't have time for it. This Christmas, we have to be strategic. The world and the devil is working against us. He's working against all these other kind of things that are immediately in front of our eyes. We pray that we get a chance to kind of lay that stuff aside and, and be diligent about making a plan and trusting. No matter what we're going with, we come to you with whatever we're struggling with, but we find answers not in the world and just trying to find presents and games and money and stuff, but instead we can find answers in a Savior who really came. We can open your word, we can open our Advent devotions, and we can hear about a promise fulfilled after 700 years of promises that actually came true, that changes our life forever. So we ask this in your name. Amen.